Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Isn't it an exciting day? Uh, our, our graduates, uh, of course, big day in the life of our church. We had a ceremony, the pomp and circumstance part, the past service, and had a special event for them Thursday night. And uh, hopefully just been very encouraging, helpful way to kind of launch them into this next chapter. They're at an awesome place in life, but it's not a unique place. They're a place that they are traveling in right now, and they'll travel many times in the future, and many of us have been there and are be, will be there. And the place I'm talking about is in between chapters, closing one chapter and beginning a new one. And what's special about that place is that is a great place to make adjustments. Sometimes, and I'm not saying it's easy, but sometimes the easiest place to make adjustments is in those in between chapters. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And I want to get started in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you will, uh, open your Bible and turn with me there to Ecclesiastes 3. That may not be a book you've turned to a whole bunch, but if you'll head to the middle of your Bible and hit Psalms, then just go right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to Read some words today that you may have heard before, may not even have known they came out of the Bible. You just thought it was a part of a great rock song from years past. But uh, it is actually right from Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and let me begin in verse 1. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, And lastly, a time for war and a time for peace. You know, if you've been around here the last, uh, I don't know, four or five months, you've, you've probably heard me say more than once that, that Karen and I's story, that we're moving through the pages pretty quickly right now. As a matter of fact, we're not just moving through pages, we're moving through whole chapters right now. It's, it's not just big events, we're moving through major milestones, it seems like, at just a, a record pace. Uh, you know, a year ago, April... Just past this past April, April 2015, from that April through this coming Saturday, we will have had an open heart surgery. We will have both turned 50. We will have had three graduations. We're about to be empty nesters and we're about to be grandparents. I mean, we're, we're flying through the pages right now. And, and you know, yeah, yay, yay me. I don't know. Yeah. Does that seem like a place to clap? I don't know. I mean, hey, go for it. But, but, but anyway, you know, partly what makes turning those pages so palatable, the speed, is that most of that's accomplishment. Most, most of it's fun. Most of it we're going through, you know, some good milestones in life. But I've been there, and I know some of you probably have been there even more than I have. Not every page we turn is fun, is it? So sometimes we feel like we're moving quickly through life's story, but, but we're going from one funeral to the next. We're, we're going from one ending that we didn't like to another ending that we don't like. One change that we don't like to another change that we don't like. And, 
you know, as I read through Ecclesiastes right there, I think the response to that would be, that's life. In this life, there's a a lot of different seasons. There's a lot of different times we're going to travel through. And obviously, they lead us through a wide range of of emotions from celebrating and dancing to to grief and to mourning. And and what you and I have in the Bible is, is a map. You know what? Map's too impersonal. What we have in the Bible is, is a good shepherd. You know, the, the Bible talks to us about the written word, that's the Bible, and it talks about the living word, Jesus. And whether you're talking about Jesus or whether you're talking about his word, you're talking about a good shepherd who wants to do what? He wants to guide you. And he wants to guide me through the turning of these pages. So that whether I'm turning a page on laughter or I'm turning a page on grief. Whether I'm turning a page on dancing or I'm turning a page on mourning. Jesus wants to be a good shepherd that guides me to successfully turn that page. And and let me define the word successfully. That when I turn that page, I know God better than before I turned it. I know him better. I love him better. I've, I've experienced him in a new way. And you know what? There's some pages I don't want to turn and there's some pages I don't want to go back to. But with every page, an opportunity to know God better. And you know what? We're celebrating this weekend our, our graduates and the page that they're turning. They're ending a chapter. They're getting ready to begin a new chapter. And, and I want to address them today, and my language is going to be heavily graduate-centered. But we are all turning pages, aren't we? And we all move from one chapter to another, sometimes from a new job, one job to another job. And that, that may not even be from one state to another. That may just be from the third floor to the fourth floor. You know, we're moving from one grade. A, a lot of kids will end fourth grade. And boy, they're coming up on a new chapter in, in fifth grade. Maybe you're moving one neighborhood to another. We all go through that in life. And, and, and I think what we learn is, folks, God cares how you and I turn those pages. And he wants to guide us, help us turn them successfully. And that was kind of what was on my mind when I shared a list with my children. One, one at a time. Karen and I have four kids, and as I said, this coming Saturday, we'll have our fourth graduation. And right after graduation, I, I shared a list with each of my kids. So first time was seven years ago, and they kind of started, you know, speaking down the chain there, saying, hey, Dad's going to share this list with you, and that kind of became a joke among them, and they had a lot of fun with it. But it really was a very special and intimate time for us. As a matter of fact, I don't know if they said it or maybe... Karen and I, maybe talking to different groups, talked about this. But I've had several ask, hey, would you ever share that list? And, and you know, for all these years, I, I didn't feel like it was time. I didn't want to share the list with the group when I hadn't shared it with, with all my kids. And uh, normally, like I said, I shared after graduation. But it, I woke up about a month ago. It dawned on me, hey, when Randy graduates, his summer's like only 16 days long after that. So I can't wait till then because this list takes some time. And, and so I already shared it with him. I shared it about a month ago. And, and uh, he's working on that. And, uh, you know, so I asked my kids for permission. And, and they were all, they, they thought it was great. So I'm going to share something with you. Like I said today, it's a little bit personal to me. It's a little bit personal to my home. It is, it's not God's list, okay? I didn't get this list from God. I'm not saying you have to hear it like that. I think you'll find that the stuff on the list, 
I believe comes from God. I believe comes from his word. But, but what I'm going to share with you is, are you ready for this? 20 points. Now, I know that sounds a little daunting. The good news for you is Randy has a baccalaureate service in Midlothian at two. I've got to leave. So, so just hold on to that. He, you, as you sit there and the guy's only on 13. He's got to end it sometime, right? Okay. So, but here's what I'm going to share. Eight points on how to end here. Eight points on how to close this chapter. And then 12 points on how to start there and, and how to open a new chapter. And, and as I said, I think wherever you are in life, heavily graduate vocabulary today, but I think wherever you are in life, you can see, hey, I, I need to do this because, folks, God cares how we turn the pages. So let's, let's get started on our list here. Before you leave for school, closing a chapter, how to end here. And as you can see, the first two points were were both related around finances and and around money. I told him, hey, listen, you need to plan a budget. You know, I mean, kids got no money, but after... After their senior year, after graduate, I mean, they're getting graduation gifts, right? And, and they're working, they're working that summer. So, so a lot of times our graduates, by the time August rolls around, they have more money than they, they maybe have ever had in their lives. And of course, as good Americans, you know what we do when we've got a lot of money. We, we spend it as fast as we can. You know, look, look at all this money I got. Let, let's go do something. To which I said, slow down. You're entering nine months of which you're going to have very little income and a whole lot of outgo. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Okay. And so I said, that money you've got there has got to last you for nine months. Now, you might think, okay, take that amount and divide by nine. No, that, that won't work either. Because you need to think about, hey, you know what? I bet I want to spend more money in December. Maybe I need to think about what kind of money do I want to have available for Christmas. And, oh, by the way, you're buying your books so you need to pull out some money for the, for the books. And, and maybe there's a trip or a project. So you pull all that out. Once you've got that pulled out, then you divide by nine. And now you know what you've got to spend over the course of the year. You know that you only got that much each month. And if you call me in March and say, Dad, I'm out of money. I'm going to say, well, your mom and I will certainly be praying for you. Because it's like two months till May. I'll be praying God carries you through that time because you're not getting a penny from me. Uh, all right? Okay? So plan, plan a budget. Man, be, be wise with your finances. Okay? Secondly, pay your tithe. Now, what you're going to see in this list, man, guys, I want God's blessing on my kid's life, right? And I want them to position their lives for God's blessing. I want them to know his smile, his favor, his blessing. And, and, and you know what? I try to live. And folks, I hope what you're going to hear a lot this morning is, is you're going to see that what I preach, I try to live in my house. You know, this is what Karen and I try to do. This is what we try to raise our kids with. And, and you know what? I don't get up here and say tithe because I'm the preacher and we've got bills to pay here at church. You know why I say tithe? Because of six words out of the mouth of Jesus. Give to God what is God's. Now, how can I encourage my children to get in a place of blessing? How how can I say, hey, listen, here's how we close the chapter. Here's how we start a new one. Here's how we involve God in that if you're stealing from him. And those aren't my words. That's Malachi chapter 3, that when we don't pay the tithe, when we don't acknowledge what is God's, that we're robbing him. Well, I, how, how do you rob God and then say, God bless me, God help me, God provide for me, God protect me, God do this, God do that, while I'm stealing? You can't do that. Give to God 
what is God's? Now, what's God's? Everything. That makes it simple, doesn't it? Your gifts, your abilities, your opportunities, your, your friends, every penny you have, it's all God's. And you acknowledge to God that you get it. You, you acknowledge to God that you understand that. You acknowledge to God that you're depending upon Him, not an education, not a job, when you give that tithe. So before you divide by nine, give to God what is God's. So the first two things I said, obviously, heavily on the finances. Number three, and you're going to see number three just on one screen. Number four is going to be similar. It is about relationships. You know, and I told my kids, hey, listen, you know, things are going to change. Hey, there's still going to be a lot of things we do that are the same. And, and, and we're, you know, still do this and still do that. But, you know, I guess as each one of them went, I said, you know what? You, you, you remember when, when Mary Beth was in 11th grade and, and Amy was in 8th grade and Colin was in 6th grade and Randy was in 5th grade? Remember that moment and our family and, you know, your memories, that's what you think of? It's never going to be that way again. That moment, that chapter will never look like that again. And you're moving. It's, it's your change. So as you make that change... Think about, hey, I got these relationships in my, my life. You know, uh, there's, there's a big word that runs all the way through the Bible. It's the word righteous. You heard that word? Righteous, righteousness. A lot of times we think of that word as, as praising God. God, I praise you. You are, you are so righteous. You don't, you don't ever show up late. You're never negligent. You never say a bad word. You never do the wrong thing. You're always right in my life. You're always good in my life. And I praise you for that. And, and then, of course, sometimes we think about being righteous before God. And in that word, we're very grateful for Christ. My ability to stand before God and be righteous. And the word just simply means in right standing. To do what is right. To do what is good. My ability to stand before God as right and as good is because of Christ. His righteousness. How he's lived. What he did for me. So I rest in Christ. And I stand in righteousness before God. But see, so far everything I've described is righteousness on a vertical issue. But righteousness is also a horizontal issue. It's living right by others, doing good by others. And as you are moving out of one chapter and into another chapter, now folks, you could say, this is something we ought to do every day, right? But certainly when we're closing and opening, that's a place to say, hey, is there anything I need to say, I need to do, I need to retract, I need to fix with mom and dad? With this sibling, with this sibling, with this sibling, maybe a friend from school or, or from church. And, and folks, by the way, I cut and paste the list to this. You're, you're seeing exactly how I handed it to them, except it had their siblings' names. I didn't just put sibling, okay, because I put their names. But that, that's exactly how I handed it to them. As, you know, go through and write next to each one of these things. What would I do? Is there anything I need to do? Ask, ask the Lord about that. Let's move to the next slide. Number four is basically the same thing. It's just taking it another level out. Is there a teacher? Is there a coach, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Uh, is there anything there that I need to, to do so that I leave that relationship, that I move on, that it's in a right place, that it's in a good place? Now, again, heavily vocabulary day is graduates, but... Man, we got to do this at any age in life, don't we? And, and when we're moving through life, moving from one job, moving from one neighborhood, we've related with people. And we need to stop and evaluate and, and respond to what's happening in those relationships and sometimes adjust and correct. The list is not implying that they've done something wrong. 
The list is not implying you need to fix this. The list is saying you need to stop and evaluate. Number, number five, uh, and you might want to write next to this if you're trying to take notes or take pictures, and I will post this later on Facebook or something. But next to this one, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Is there anything you need to fulfill before the Lord? There is a, a story and it starts before Second Samuel 9, but there's a great friendship in the Bible between David and a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan at the time was the king's son. His father was Saul. And that would usually mean then that Jonathan's going to be the next king, but, but Jonathan knew David was going to be the next king. And yet, even with that, they had this incredible friendship, this, in, this incredible bond. And David actually made this promise, I, w- I will care for your family. No matter what, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, I'll, I'll care for your family. Well, a couple of years pass, and, and, and Jonathan dies. Jonathan's killed in battle, killed, killed with his father, King Saul, in battle. And, and David becomes king, but it's only over a little part of the kingdom for, for a handful of years there. And, and, and then, finally, he becomes king over the whole nation. And he's, he's kind of turning the pages. He's moving through the story of his life. And literally, in 2 Samuel 9, it's like he wakes up one morning in this transition, and he says, hey, wait a minute, I, I made a promise. Have I fulfilled it? I know I've covered a lot of Jonathan's family, but is there anybody else out there? And, and somebody says, yeah, man, there, there is. He's got another son, Mephibosheth, uh, a, a crippled young man. And man, it's just incredible how David goes and finds Mephibosheth and brings him into the king's house and cares for him. Just an incredible story. But what amazes me in it is that David was even looking. I mean, David could have played the, the I forgot card. David could have played that that was 10 years ago card. David could have played that Jonathan's dead card. Instead, he played the card, you know what? I said I was going to do something. Have I? And not just have I done enough to, to, to get my conscience clean. Have I done all that was implied in what I said? You know what I tried to communicate to my kids, my kids here? And I've seen it in my life and I've seen it all throughout humanity. We have a tendency to think because we're moving or changing that all of our commitments are null and void. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, I'm moving, so any commitment I made, nah, kaput, it's gone. That's not, that's not righteousness. That's not being right by another. Now, now the challenge is to think that in that move, what happens to that commitment? Some can't, you know, if, if, you're a, if, you're, if you've made a commitment here to be a teacher and you're a teacher in life group and you teach every other week and, and you move to Wisconsin, no, we don't expect you to fly home every other week and teach your lesson. But the question then becomes, how do you bring that commitment to a close? Maybe some, maybe some commitments you're going to close. Maybe some you're going to say, hey, how do I fulfill this? E- even at cost, even at sacrifice, how do I fulfill this commitment? So I encourage my children, hey, think, what, what have you told somebody you were going to do? What have you promised to the Lord, to others? Fulfill your commitments. And when you're moving through chapters, that's a good time to stop and say, hey, what did I tell people? What did I tell God? Before I move forward, now's a good time to, to, to deal with that. Number six, establish your quiet time. Get that locked down. You know, even if you have something as a good habit, when we're moving through chapters, that kind of becomes a harem scarum moment. You know what I'm talking about? 
living out of boxes, new schedule, new people around you, new environment. And, and, and sometimes when we're in all that newness, our habits kind of come apart. And so, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to really work to make strong and to make anchored the habits you need to work through that transition. So I tell them, man, this summer, you really need to work at, at establishing that time in prayer, that time in God's word. Make that a strong habit so that hopefully it can endure the transition that August and September are going to bring. Number seven, who do you need to thank? Now, you might look at number seven and say, well, doesn't that go back up in, in three and four? Well, well, yeah, it does. You might, I need to thank mom and dad. I need to thank this sibling. But I made this a separate point for this reason. Remember what I'm, I'm talking about. I'm trying to, I'm trying to guide my kids into a position that just really enjoys the smile of God. And you know what, folks? God loves gratitude. God loves it when you and I, thankful to him, acknowledge him. But you know what? It gets just as much a smile on his face when you and I are showing gratitude and acknowledgement and thankfulness to each other. And I thought about why might that be? Why is thankfulness such a, a big deal to God? And you know, it dawned on me, you know, another thing that's big to God is humility. Isn't that a theme all the way through the Bible? God, God raises the humble, he brings down the proud. God helps those who are weak, but those that are strong and independent and don't need anybody, those he crashes on the rocks. God loves humility. And you know, if you stop and think about it, it takes just a, it takes just a smidgen of humility to say thank you. It takes just a little bit of humility to acknowledge, hey, you know what? I have something more. I am something more because of you. You've enriched me, you've aided me, you've helped me, you, you protected me, you, you showed me, you, you gave to me, whatever it might be. I am more, I have more because of something about you. Listen, you're never going to reach a place in life, ever, where you say, shoot, I just said thank you one too many times. It's just not going to happen. You're just not going to go, wow, I really should not have said thank you in that place. Let me tell you something. Look for the place you shouldn't have said thank you. And guess what? It works pretty good there too. It always works. That's what this list is about. This always works. And then lastly, number eight. Pick some verses to memorize and guide how you want to live and finish. Again, I took the list right out of my kids. They were all going to college. But you could put college. You could put workforce. I mean, whatever you're doing next, you could put there. Okay? And, and really, what, what I'm saying is, hey, what are your goals? I mean, this is about having goals. What are your goals for this major? What are your goals for going to this school? What are your goals in this job? And it might be as simple as pay my bills. You know, I, I want to get a, I want to get a degree. Okay, so what are your goals? And then, can you put some verses with that? Can you look at that goal? Can you shape that goal with a verse that you can memorize so that you are looking at your future and you're looking at your goals through God's word? You're letting God's word shape that. And there's another little benefit here. If you've got goals and you can't find any verses that go with that, you might need to rethink your goals. If you can't attach anything of God's word to what you're trying to be, to where you're trying to go, that might not be 
the right goal. So there's eight things to work on this summer. That's eight things to do to try to close a chapter to end here. Let's move forward now. Let's start a chapter. This was a, a big phrase I tried to get in my kids' mind. First day, first week, first month. First day. I said, think about that. First day, first week, first month. Because some strange things are going to happen where you literally could do some things the first afternoon that you're there that will shape the next four years, whether you want it to or not. Your, your, your mom and I are going to come in, and, and of course, we'll be very embarrassing to you. That's our job. And, and we'll, we'll come in with all your junk, and we'll drop it in the room, and we'll plug in, and we'll assemble, and we'll do all this. And then with this roommate you don't even know, we're going to say, let's pray, and I'm going to grab his hand, and it's really going to be super awkward at that point. And at that point, Man, I'm so glad I have my mom and dad here. And, and, and then... We're going to leave. Your mom and dad are going to walk to the car. We're going to get in the car. We're going to drive back to Richmond, weeping and wailing the entire way. Okay? And while we're making that drive instantly at that moment, you're going to begin to do some things. You're not even going to be aware you're doing it. But when you're in that moment, that first day, that first week... You're nervous. You're scared. You don't have your normal friends. You don't have your normal things that anchor you, that tell you that you're cool, that you're lovable, that you're okay. And you're looking for the first thing going by that looks like that might do it. They, it just might have the same shirt on as you. And we start immediately connecting with others and with situations that are going to shape the next four years. And sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing. So, you know what? Live life on purpose. Don't let it be a, a random person. Don't let it be an accident. On purpose, choose what is going to shape your next four years and realize it happens immediately. So in the first day, first week, first month, establish who you are as a follower of Christ. And look at this line here, folks. It will never be easier. I did not say it will be easy. I said it will never be easier to communicate who you are in Christ the first day, the first week, and the first month. Now, folks, you and I need to do that every day of every week of every month, no matter where we are in this story, right? But it's never easier when we're first meeting. Now, I told him, this doesn't mean you have to wear a T-shirt that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ for 30 days without washing it. Okay? This doesn't mean every time you meet somebody, you go, I'm raining on, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Wouldn't hurt if you did that. But that's not what I'm saying. But think about what happened as you're, as you're being introduced to groups, to people, as you're connecting. You are, hey, this is where I'm from. This is what I do. This is what I, you know, I enjoy. You're, you're getting to know each other, right? And you know, that's where it's important right up front to communicate. Hey, you know, something that's very important to me is my life in Christ. And you know what? There's going to be a temptation when you're first meeting that first day, first week. There's going to be a temptation to hide it. You know how I know there's a temptation to hide it? Because every single person in this room has chosen consciously to hide who they are in Christ in front of particular individuals and groups. Nobody in here has not done that. You've all done it. We all deal with that. And you know, now, if I keep traveling forward in that relationship, now somewhere along the way, I've got to reintroduce, I've got to bring it up that I'm a Christian. And I can and I should. But you know what happens is the further we get into that job, the further we get down the road with that roommate, the further we get into those, it starts becoming weird. 
it starts becoming awkward to try to bring it up now, right? And that weirdness and awkwardness will keep a lot of us from ever bringing it up. And so if you hide it the first day, the first week, and the first month, there's a small chance you'll hide it the entire four years. And that's a big chunk of your life to be ashamed of Christ. That's a, that's a big chunk of life to invite him not to be there. I didn't say it's easy, but it's easier when you do it right up front. Now, number two and three go with number one. Okay, if you're going to be able to communicate that and be strong and true to it, then you need to become friends with some others who are doing that. Find a Christian group, find a church right away. You know what, folks, this, this year, coming into this year, we, we uh, kind of introduced this idea, and I see the shirts around the sanctuary. We wear these shirts every Sunday. I wear it up here every couple of Sundays. Life is better connected, right? That's kind of become a little motto in our church. And, you know, just to promote, hey, listen, be here. Be here together. Be doing stuff together because life is better that way. But, but I want you to know where that comes from in my soul. It's not a church program. As a matter of fact, while we introduced that this year, I told Mary Beth this seven years ago. I told Amy this four years ago. I told Colin this last year before there was ever a program. It's going to be better when you connect. And let me define better. You're going to pray better inside the body of Christ than you're going to pray alone. You're going to serve him better. You're going to grow in him better. You're going to understand the scripture better. You're going to refine and define your beliefs better. You're going to go further and better with the Lord when you're connected with, when you're growing with the body of Christ. It's God is not looking to see how strong and tough and independent you are by yourself. He's trying to see how humble and sacrificial and serving you are in connecting with others. Life in Christ is better, not alone. It's better when we do this together. And so right up front, hey, do this right away. Get connected to the body of Christ. Number four, look for the acceptance and approval of believers, not unbelievers. You know, I'm not sure I wrote that right. That looks kind of mean, doesn't it? I, I'm, you know what? I'm not saying here, whatever you do, don't have any friends that are unbelievers. Ah, ooh, wicked. No, that, that, that's nothing about this. The operative word is acceptance. Like I said, folks, every one of us, every day we journey out of the house, we're looking for acceptance. Like I said, we're looking for somebody to tell us we're cool, that we're lovable, that we're good. And we're looking almost immediately for anybody who will do that for us. And you need to see, hey, is the person I'm allowing to tell me I'm okay, is the person I'm allowing to influence and shape me, are they a believer? Are they an unbeliever? This isn't about not having unbelieving friends. It is about evaluating who you're letting your guard down with and who you're letting tell you that you're okay. And number four kind of goes with number five. I, I, it's, it, I think it's two different points, but uh, shaped a little bit different way. After the first month, look up and see what are the influences I've built in my life. 
Because you're, you're letting influences in. Some of them you can control, some you can't. I, can't. I can't control whether the department head is a believer. I can't control if the professor is or the boss is. I can't control if every coworker is. But I, I need to be aware of, hey, who's around me? Who's influencing me? What's the balance between those who are encouraging me and influencing me toward God and the things of God, toward eternity and the things of eternity, and what's influencing me to only live for this world? I need to be aware of that and in some cases make adjustments. It's easier, quicker than it is to get further and further down the road. So you you, you need to look up. You, You need to evaluate what's happening in your life. Don't let your life happen on accident. Do things on purpose, okay? Number six and number eight kind of go together. Make a 15-minute appointment with your... And I, and I put the word there, leader. Uh, again, I just copied and pasted. That for uh, Mary Beth and Amy and Colin, I put department head. For Randy, I put leader because I don't know what people are called at West Point. Sir and ma'am, I guess. I don't know. But I just put leader, okay? And, and then, of course, number eight, introduce yourself to each of your teacher. Now, I know some of you are probably looking at that thinking, now, number six and eight, is he telling his kids to be suck-ups? Is he telling them to be brown-nosers? Is that what he's telling them there? You know, maybe that is. But I think what I'm telling them in number six and eight is kind of two biblical principles. Number one, our God, remember we're talking about what God loves, what brings God's smile. God loves authority. God loves the structure of authority and he loves when you and I honor and respect and acknowledge authority. Well, if I'm a chemistry major, then for the next four years of my life, the big leader in my life is the chemistry department head, right? And, and so I, you know, I tell him, I say, go in there and say, hey, listen, I just ask him for 15 minutes, introduce yourself and say, I, I'm, I'm going to be a chemistry major. Here's kind of my, nobody in my family, by the way, was a chemistry major. I'm not even trying to spell it. But, you know, go in there and, and say, hey, listen, I'm making some goals for, for what I want to accomplish in this major and what I want to accomplish here at, at this school. And I was wondering what, what you think should be some of my goals as I put those together. And I said, now, when that department head gets off the floor, because more than likely they're going to fall out of the chair at that point. Because that's not what Americans do. We don't do that anymore. You know why? Because I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I don't need your advice. I don't need you telling me what to do. I can figure out everything on my own. Nobody's smarter than me. I mean, it's just such an American mentality. That's just such a way we live today. And so he doesn't have, he or she doesn't have many people come here and say, you know what's important to me is what you think. You're you're the head over this. I want to know what you think. Now, they may be on to you that you're just, you know, sucking up. And they may say, well, what do you have as a goal? So I said, be prepared to tell them what some of the goals that you have for being in that major are, but then look for their, look for them. So, and then number eight, kind of the same thing. You're acknowledging, I recognize you as a leader. I recognize you as somebody smarter than me. I recognize you as an authority in this structure that I'm in. But the second thing, another biblical principle is, hey, I want to be wise. I want to make good decisions. You know what the Bible says? Get counsel. Get counsel from people smarter than you. Get counsel from people further down the road than you. That's what number six and eight are about. Acknowledge the authorities in your life and get good counsel from the wisdom in your life. So that's what I was trying to to shape there. Number seven, establish your study habits and schedule. I I really kind of hammered this with my kids. Treat school as a job. The challenge with school is you just got more free time than you ever thought about what to do with. I mean, you'll have a day, you have a class at 10 and a class at 3. What do you do in between? You eat and watch TV, right? No, 
That's a job. Going to school is your job. And it's an expensive job. So what you do is you go to school from 10 to 11. And then from 12 to 3 or 11 to 3, what you do is you, you study. You study when you don't need to study. You do homework when you don't need to do homework. And what you're going to find is you actually open up even more free time because you're always going to be on top of things. You're never going to be behind. You're never going to be stressed. You're, ne- you're never going to be losing it because you've used your time wisely. Treat it as a job. Maybe some days your job is 10 to 3. Maybe others it's 9 to 4. Maybe you'll have some days where it's kind of a short job. You know, I'm just 11 to 2, all I got to do today. But treat school as a job. Number 9, adjust your budget and then go to the next page. Number 9 and 10 go together. You're, when, when and where are you having that quiet time? You remember back in June? Remember back in June when we said to have a budget? And we said establish that time that you're going to be praying and, and you're going to be spending time in God's word. Well, now it's, maybe now it's the end of September. So what happened? How much money did you spend? And so stop and look. It, it's not magical what happens to money. It's very easy to add up and subtract. What did you spend in September? How are you doing with the budget? Where did your quiet time land? Where's the place you're doing it? Where's the time that you're doing that? Stop and measure that. We need to always do this. But boy, when you do it right up front, it's a little bit easier to make adjustments. Number 11, the kids all had a lot of fun with and they all told each other, hey, dad's going to tell you to do this. <laughs> Don't date your first semester. Don't, wait, we got, yeah, okay, that's, that's happy for some. That's the first time I got a clap for that. Don't date your first semester. Now, here's why. Here's why. What, what have we talked about in the list so far? You got two great priorities. Spiritual your walk in relationship with God, and two, academic. Would you give one semester, one semester, 15 weeks, to making sure those priorities are anchored? That you found a way. Hey, here's how I'm living for Christ. Here's where I'm praying. Here's the groups that I've connected with. Here's where I'm building my spiritual life. Priority number one. Number two, here's why, you know, I've learned to study. I've learned how this thing works. And, and you get that anchored. When you anchor the highest priorities first, then you've got a greater chance of success when you start adding priority number three and four and five. Because folks, if you'll think, I think we've all been there. It's not hard at all to let priority number 15 blow up priorities number one and two. So anchor the big priorities. Give, give one semester to doing that and then there's a pretty good chance that you can add romance and you can add extracurriculars and you can add these other things because the high priorities are already anchored. And then lastly, I said lastly, look at that. Uh, ask God what he thinks about everything. Ask him if you should drop a class, if you should add a class. Ask him if you should go home this weekend. Ask him if you should spend it on that. Ask him about this friend. Ask him about that group. Ask him about what you say here, what you shouldn't say there. Ask God about everything. Because folks, God cares how we turn our pages. I'm so grateful for Christ because I've turned some pages wrongly. I'm so grateful for Christ because there's portions of my story that are a bit of a mess. And so I cling to God's grace and I cling to his love and I cling to his forgiveness. But folks, God's grace and love and forgiveness are not there to lead me to a cavalier attitude where I don't care what happens in the story because God's got it covered. No, I'm, I'm supposed to care about righteousness. I'm to care about how I move from one page to the next, how, how I move from one chapter 
to the next. Man, you know what I want so much for my kids? What I want right now, I mean, Randy, right now, this day, right now for Randy. And I desperately want him to turn this next page right. Desperately want that. And and, and my prayer, my hope, is that he's had a chance to watch his mom and dad turn some pages right. He's had a chance with a, a lot of life group leaders up at church over the years to watch them turn the pages right. And, he, and he's watched adults in his church family turn the pages right because it, it matters, right? It, it, it matters. Man, folks, maybe sometimes we just want to turn the pages right because people we really love and people that are really important to us are watching how we turn that page. Whether it's a page of laughter or it's a page of grief. Hey, you know what? Don't get totally blown out of water by grief. It's a chance to show somebody you love how to turn that page. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help Randy turn this page right. God, help him open this next chapter right. God, would you block and blind from his memory those places where he saw me and his mom not turn the page, not turn it right, mess it up. God, would you please quicken his heart and mind to any one place that we actually did turn the page right. We did move from one chapter to the next right. And God, I pray you'll not only quicken his heart and mind to to where we did it right, but to where that coach did it right, that teacher did it right, that, that life group teacher up at church. And Lord, I don't just pray that for Randy. I, I pray that for every single one of our 20 graduates that we saw on the stage today in our second service. God, I pray that for every one of us. May we be a people who really care about what you think and how to walk through this next season how to turn this next page, how to end this chapter, how to start the next one. Oh God, for your glory, for your smile. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.